And good afternoon. You're listening to Ken Hudnall. This is the Ken Hudnall Show. <clears throat> Coming to you from our studios right here in exciting El Paso, Texas. Gateway to the Old West in the most haunted city in the country. Well, today's December the 19th, 353rd day of the year. Twelve days remain to the year's over with. And we get to do it all over again. National holidays. Look for an evergreen day. Getting ready for Christmas, you gotta have the Christmas tree. National Hard Candy Day. National Emo Day. National Oatmeal Muffin Day. Festival of Winter Walks. Go walk in the snow. If you have snow. Blue Christmas, which celebrates the um, first responders. Gift of Sight Month. Operation Santa Paws. Worldwide Food Service Safety Month, National Write a Business Plan Month, National Tie Month, National Para Month, Universal Human Rights Month. Alrighty. Now, at the beginning of every show, I do a history segment because every day has got some unique things that happened over history. 1154, Henry II of England is crowned at Westminster Abbey. 1187, Pope Clement III is elected. 1490, Anne, Duchess of Brittany, is married to Maximilian I, Holy Roman Emperor, by proxy. Didn't even take her on a date, kiss her, before decided they're going to get married. 1562, the Battle of Drux takes place during the French Wars of Religion. That's something... It's certainly worth having in a war over his religion. 1606, the ships Susan, Constant, Godspeed, and Discovery depart England carrying settlers who created what became known as Jamestown, Virginia, the first of 13 colonies that became the U.S. 1675, the Great Swamp Fight, pivotal battle in King Philip's War. <coughs> it was a costly victory for the, victory for the uh, colonists, but they won. 1776, Thomas Paine published one of a series of pamphlets in the Pennsylvania Journal. It was called The American Crisis. And if you've never read anything that Thomas Paine did, it's a pamphlet series, one of a series, a 13-numbered pamphlet were published between 1776 and 1777, and then in 77 and in 83, they issued three additional pamphlets. First was published in uh, the Pennsylvania Journal. Um, he signed the pamphlets with the pseudonym Common Sense, which um, sometimes is difficult to find in our officials. 1777, American Revolutionary War. George Washington's Continental Army goes into winter quarters at Valley Forge, Pennsylvania, and that's where he had his Vision, I guess you could call it. 1783, William Pitt the Younger becomes the youngest prime minister of the UK and at the age of 24. Uh, 1793, War of the First Coalition. The siege of Toulon ends with Napoleon's French artillery forces the British to abandon the city. And that secured southern France from invasion for the foreseeable future. 1796, French Revolutionary Wars. 
Two British frigates under Commodore Horatio Nelson and two Spanish frigates under Commodore Don Jacobo Stewart engage in battle off the coast of Mercia. Eighteen twenty-eight, Vice President of the U.S. John C. Calhoun sparks the nullification crisis when he anonymously publishes the South Carolina Exposition in protest. He was protesting the tariff of eighteen twenty-eight. See the New England area, which had a lot of factories, discovered that it was cost prohibitive to try to meet the prices of of uh, cheaper goods coming in from overseas. So the tariff of 1828 was a very high protective tariff that became law in the U.S. in May of that year. <coughs> now, the way the bill was written, it wasn't expected to pass Congress. But it was seen by free trade supporters as hurting both industry and farming. But in spite of that, it passed anyway. It was denounced in the South and escalated to a threat of civil war. Um, the tariff was replaced in 1833 and the crisis averted called the Tariff of Abominations by its southern detractors because of the effects it had on the southern economy. It had a 38% tax on some imported goods and a 45% tax on certain imported raw materials and of course the South needed both imported goods and raw materials. Uh, 1900 Hooptown Blunder, first Governor General of Australia, John Hope, seventh Earl of Hoopton, appointed Sir William Lyne, uh, or Lynn, Premier of the new state of New South Wales. But he couldn't persuade other colonial politicians to join his government, so he's forced to resign. 1900, French Parliament votes amnesty for all involved in the scandalous arbitration trial known as the Dreyfus Affair. Well, Dreyfus' affair was a uh, political scandal. Divided the Third French Republic from 1894 till its resolution in 1906. Became a symbol of modern injustice in the Francophone world. And it remains one of the most notable examples of a complex miscarriage of justice coupled with anti-Semitism. Until October 7th of this year, that is. And the role played by the press and the public opinion... Um, proved to be influential in the conflict because the press did nothing but fan the flames. Now, Captain Alfred Dreyfus, a 35-year-old Alsatian French artillery officer of Jewish descent, was convicted of treason and sentenced to life in prison for communicating French military secrets to the German embassy in Paris. He was sent overseas to the penal colony on Devil's Island, a French Guiana. Spent nearly five years imprisoned in very harsh conditions. Well, in 1996, the, um, it came to light as a result of an investigation made by Lieutenant Colonel George Picard, head of counterespionage, that the real culprit uh, was a French Army major named Ferdinand Walson Esterhousy. And high-ranking military officials, of course, suppressed this new evidence because We all know that uh, Jews are traitors was their basic attitude. The Army even, um, in fact, there was a trial for Esterhauser that only lasted two days, and he was unanimously acquitted. Now, the Army at that point laid additional charges against Dreyfus based on forged documents. 
it was an open secret they were forged, but, you know, subsequently, the writer Emil Zola uh, opened letters accused in the newspaper Laura stoked a growing movement of political support for Dreyfus, and he put pressure on the government to reopen the case. Well, in 1899, Dreyfus was brought back to France for another trial. The intense political and judicial scandal that had ensued divided the French society between those who supported Dreyfus, uh, such as Sarah Bernhardt and Anatole Francais and Charles Perguet and Henri Poincaré and uh, George Clemenceau and those who condemned him. Um, Edouard Drumont, the director and publisher of the anti-Semitic paper La Libre Parole, and it resulted in near riots every time the two groups came head to head. Well, the new trial resulted in another conviction, primarily based on forged documents. But in spite of that, Dreyfus was pardoned and released. In 1906, he was exonerated. After being reinstated as a major in the French army, he served with during the whole of World War I. Ending his service with the rank of lieutenant colonel, he died in 1935. Um, the affair divided France into pro-Republican and a clerical um, Dreyfusards and pro-army, mostly Catholic, anti-Dreyfusards. And it embittered French politics and encouraged radicalization. It became, um, it still can incite um, arguments even today. 1907, 239 coal miners die in the Dar Mine disaster in Jacobs Creek, Pennsylvania. 1912, William Van Schaik, captain of the steamship General Slocum which caught fire and killed over a 1,000 people, was pardoned by U.S. President uh, William Howard Taft after three and a half years in Sing Sing Prison. Now, the General Slocum was an interesting uh, ship, I guess you could say. It was a side-wheel passenger steamboat built in Brooklyn in 1891. During her service, uh, service history, she was involved in a number of mishaps, including multiple groundings and collisions. Well, June 15, 1904, the General Slocum caught fire and sank in the East River of New York City. And at the time of the accident, she was char on a chartered run carrying members of St. Mark's Evangelical Lutheran Church, uh, German-Americans primarily from Little Germany in Manhattan, to a church picnic. 1,342 people are crammed on board that side wheel. An estimated 1,021 uh, died. Now, the General Slocum disaster was the worst maritime disaster of the 20th century until the Titanic surpassed it uh, eight years later, in 1912. And it still remains the worst maritime disaster in New York City history and the second worst in United States waterways. The explosion and sinking of the steamboat, the Sultana, uh, is number one. And until the September 11th attacks in 2001, it was the deadliest man-made disaster of any sort in the New York area. In fact, the events surrounding the General Slocum fire have been explored in a number of books and plays and movies. It's been quite well known. 
1920, King Constantine I is restored as king of the Hellenes after the death of his son, Alexander of Greece, and there was a plebiscite held. Do they want to restore the monarchy, or do they want to um, do another form of government? It was decided they wanted to restore the monarchy. 1924, the last Rolls-Royce Silver Ghost is sold in London, England. I had a chance to buy one of those in New York City when we lived there. Beautiful car. Now, the Silver Ghost name refers both to a car model and one specific car from that series. Uh, the chassis was first made at Rolls Manchester Works with production moving to Derby in July of 1908. Now, the chassis number 60551 was a car originally given the name Silver Ghost. Eventually, it was applied to the entire series of cars. Um, and the Silver Ghost was the origin of Rolls-Royce claim to making the best car in the world. And the chassis and the engine were also used on the, as the basis of a range of Rolls-Royce armored cars. December 1923, four, four friends of Woodrow Wilson chipped in to buy the former president of the Silver Ghost just weeks before Wilson died in February 1924. Now, Wilson was disabled, but the car was modified so he could enter and exit the car easily. Well... Nice to have friends like that. 1924, German serial killer Fritz Harman sentenced to death for a series of murders. 1927, three Indian revolutionaries, Ram Prasad Bismil and Roshan Singh and Astafa Kuala Khan were executed by the British Raj for participation in the Kokori conspiracy. That was the hijacking of a train carrying tax money right near the village of Kokori. It was uh, a revolutionary group uh, was behind it. They wanted to use the money to fund uh, uh, the purchase of weapons and the hiring of troops. Uh, the British Raj is what they called the uh, the British government that ruled India at the time. Uh, 1929, the Indian National Congress promulgates the Purnasawaja the Declaration of Independence of India. 1932, BBC World Service begins broadcasting as the BBC Empire Service. I spent a lot of interesting nights listening to the BBC over the uh, shortwave radio. A lot of fun. You never know what you're going to hear. 1940, Risto Raiti, the Prime Minister of Finland, is elected President of the Republic of Finland in a presidential election, which is exceptionally... Uh, Held by the 1937 Electoral College. 1941, World War II. Adolf Hitler appoints himself head of the Oberkommando des Heeres. That was the uh, German general staff, don't you know? <coughs> 1941, World War II. Limpet mines placed by Italian divers heavily damaged HMS Valiant and HMS uh, Queen Elizabeth in the uh, Alexander, your harbor. 1945, John Amory, the British fascist, is executed at the age of 33 by the British government. The charge against him was treason. The um, uh, 
He was also a Nazi collaborator during World War II. He was originator of the British Free Corps, a volunteer Waffen-SS unit composed of former British and Dominion prisoners of war. Uh, he conducted recruitment efforts and made propaganda broadcasts for Germany. Later gave direct support to Benito Mussolini. He was prosecuted by the British authorities and pleaded guilty to eight counts of high treason for which he was sentenced to death. And uh, he was sentenced seven months after the war in Europe ended. He was 33 years old. He was the elder of two children, a British statesman, Leo Lamry, member of the parliament and later conservative government minister, whose mother was a Hungarian Jew who converted to Protestantism. His younger brother, Julian, became an MP and served in the conservative government. But he was proud of his German affiliations, apparently. 1946 was the start of the first Indochina War. generally known as the uh, Indochina War in France and the Anti-French Resistance War in Vietnam, fought between France and the Viet Minh, Democratic Republic of Vietnam, and their various allies. It started in December 19, 1946, and went on until July 20, 1954. Uh, the Viet Minh was led by Vo Nguyen Giep and Ho Chi Minh. Most of the fighting took place in Tonkin in northern Vietnam although the conflict engulfed the entire country and was extended to the neighboring French Indochina protectorates of Laos and Cambodia. Nineteen fifty six, Irish born physician John Bodkin Adams is arrested in connection with the suspicious deaths of more than hundred and sixty patients. Eventually he's convicted only of minor charges. They couldn't prove the uh the murder charges. 1961, India annexes Daman and Diu, part of the Portuguese India. A number of the uh, European uh, powers had uh, colonies in uh, India. 1967, Harold Holt, the Prime Minister of Australia, went swimming in rough waters and presumed drowned, but his body was never found. And they searched for a long time. There was a suspicion that he wasn't happy and he changed his identity and lived happily ever after, someplace in the shadows. 1972 Apollo program, the last crewed lunar flight, Apollo 17, carrying Eugene Cernan, Ronald Evans, and Harrison Smith returns to Earth. 1974, Nelson Rockefeller sworn in as vice president of the U.S. under President Gerald. I'll trip over if you put it in front of me forward. It was done under the provisions of the 25th Amendment to the U.S. Constitution. Now, Richard Nixon's elected vice president, Spiro Agnew, resigned um, after charges of corruption brought against him. Uh, Gerald Ford who'd been a good little boy and followed instructions in regard to the Warren Commission, was rewarded with appointment to his vice president. Then when Nixon resigned, Ford became president, and he had to uh, pick his own vice president. So he picked um, Nelson Rockefeller. 
So we had both a president and a vice president who had never been elected to office. 1977, a 5.8 Bob Tangle earthquake strikes um, Kermon province in, in, in Iran, destroys villages, and kills 665 people. 1981, 16 lives are lost when the Pendley lifeboat goes to the aid of the stricken coaster Union Star in heavy seas. Union Star was doing fine until its engines quit. They couldn't get them restarted. There was a small crew plus the captain's uh, wife and uh, daughters. The Pendley lifeboat was a... Um, It was basically a rescue service. Um, and this disaster took place uh, off the coast of Cornwall, England. Uh, the Penley Lifeboat Station near Mouse Hole is where the uh, lifeboat Solomon Brown launched from. And it went to the aid of the Union Star. After the lifeboat had rescued four people from the, um, the Union Star... Both the vessels were lost with all hands. Sixteen people died, including eight volunteer uh, lifeboatmen. The, uh, there was really no reason for the engines to have shot, but they did. That was never explained. 1983, the original FIFA um, World Cup trophy, the Jules Rimmett trophy stolen from the headquarters of the Brazilian Football Confederation in Rio de Janeiro, Brazil. It was replaced by a copy, unauthorized copy. Um, the real trophy was eventually found in a hedgerow wrapped up in a bag found by a, uh, a dog, of all things. 1984, the Sino-British Joint Declaration stating China would resume the exercise of sovereignty over Hong Kong and UK to restore Hong Kong to China with effect from July 1st, 1997 is signed in Beijing by Deng Xiaoping and Margaret Thatcher. 1985, Earl Flight 101-435 is hijacked to China by its first officer. 1986, Mikhail Gorbachev Leader of the Soviet Union releases Andrei Sokolov and his wife from exile in Gorky. 1995, the U.S. government restores federal recognition to the Ottawa Sepi Huron Band of Potawatomi Native American Tribe. 1997, Silk Air Flight 185 crashes into the Musi River near Palembang in uh, Indonesia, killed 104. 1998, President Bill Clinton's impeached by the U.S. House of Representatives, becoming the second president of the U.S. to be impeached. He lied to the American people about having an affair with Monica Lewinsky. 2000, the Leninist uh, guerrilla unit wing of the Communist Labor Party of Turkey attack a uh, nationalist movement party office in Istanbul, Turkey. Kill one person, injured three. 2001, a record high barometric pressure of 1,085.6 hectopascals is recorded at uh, Tansan Singel, um, Kovsgol, in Mongolia. 2001, Argentine economic crisis, December riots. Riots erupt in Buenos Aires in Argentina. 
2005, Chalk's Ocean Airways Flight 101 crashes into the gov uh, government-cut channel immediately after takeoff from Miami Seaplane Base and killed 20. 2012, Park Goon-hee is elected the first female president of South Korea. 2013, spacecraft Gaia is launched from the by the European Space Agency. 2016, Russian ambassador to Turkey, Andrei Karlov, is assassinated while on an art exhibition in Ankara. The assassin, Mevlut Mert Tintas, is shot and killed by a Turkish guard. 2016, a vehicular attack in Berlin, Germany, kills and injures multiple people in a Christmas market. Christmas markets are always um, good targets. Well, I got some additional questions about my show I did about shortwave. And it is something of a complicated um, procedure, but at the same time, it's rather simple. You know, a lot of countries operate what are called standard stations, and they're, they're different types of stations on the shortwave in addition to the programming that you hear. You know, a lot of countries operate, as I said, standard stations to precisely measure time and frequency. In the U.S., we've got the U.S. National Institute of Standards and Technology operating two stations like that. WWV, located in Colorado and using a male voice. WWVH, located in Hawaii and using a female voice. And both of these stations broadcast on five separate frequencies, operated at very high power and are easy to recognize, and they serve three important functions. Number one, they announce the time every minute. They use an atomic clock and are accurate to two millionth of a second per day. They allow immediate propagation assessment. When you tune to these channels, you'll get a quick feel of which frequencies are currently active in your location and which are not. And it's not as simple as turning on the radio. You've got to tune the frequencies you want to listen to. And, of course, their propagation forecast. At 18 minutes past each hour on WWV and 45 minutes past the hour on WWVH, the Solar Terrestrial Activity Reports broadcast. And this is a weather forecast for the sun, of all things. Tell seasonal seasoned listeners at what to expect on reception in various frequencies. Um, you can also find that information on the internet. Now, in addition to standard stations, you can hear what are called offshore stations, and they're exactly what they sound like. They're floating radio stations built into ships. Now, there used to be a lot more of them there are now. And these stations began going offshore in the 1950s, and most European governments only permitted government-controlled radio stations to broadcast. And because of that, groups of radio enthusiasts joined together and <coughs> constructed offshore stations and anchored them in the international waters near Denmark and England and Israel and the Netherlands and a few other countries. Financial ventures by selling commercial time during their broadcast hours and they played the radius of the rock music from North America and from Europe giving their 
listening audience a real alternative to listen to. These stations more or less forced the, the standard European stations to modernize and play what we call the, the new sounds in rock music and <coughs> their listeners were demanding. As an example, one of the longest lived offshore stations, Radio Caroline, began broadcasting in 1964. And it played music from the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and other what was called forbidden music that wasn't aired on government-run stations. Now, Radio Caroline's no longer in operation, but there's still a few offshore stations running. Arut Shiva continues to broadcast off the coast of Tel Aviv despite threats to shut them down every now and then. And there's Mediterranean Waves and Arut's 2000 that continue to operate it as well. The interesting thing about the offshore stations is you hear what is considered um, the alternative view of what's going on as opposed to um, party lines, so to speak. Now, we've also got what are called number stations. Uh, that's a type of shortwave radio station characterized by unusual broadcasts, such as reading out a, a list of numbers or incomprehensible coded messages. And they're mysterious and sometimes a little unsettling because you, you don't know what they're discussing. And they're most likely the strangest thing you hear on shortwave. And they're typically for active spy networks in various countries. Now, a lot of these ceased operations after the Cold War came to an end, but there are still a few out there. They used to communicate encoded information to people in other countries. We generally refer to those people as spies. Some are actually pirate stations and operating illegally. But governments appear to look the other way, suggesting they're actually being operated by the government itself. Now, there's good evidence the CIA ran number stations during the Cold War, and they probably still do. It's also rumored the U.S. State Department still fills time slots on KKN-50 and KKN-44, which is uh, number station traffic. Now, number stations broadcast strings of numbers, usually in groups of five, usually in English or sometimes in Spanish. The USA, England, Cuba, and Israel are heavy users of number stations. And if you're searching uh, on the dial and come across a station with a voice that's simply reading lists of numbers and groups, you found a number station. And they do seem to be increasing in, uh, well, if you excuse the pun, numbers, especially with uh, what's going on with Russia and Ukraine and the Middle East. And there's a good website relating to number stations. It's uh, PRIYOM.org, O-R-G. PRIYOM is an international organization working to bring to light a better understanding of the mysterious reality of intelligence and military use of number stations. It contains links to articles about number stations, military and diplomatic uh, number stations, uh, IRC chat, that's uh, older internet users will know what that means, and even a blog. Best time to listen for these is in the evening, especially late in the evening when it's quiet. Then we've got what a lot of people refer to as secret squirrel stations. Now, emergency action messages are 
government transmissions that are designed to be used during national disasters such as nuclear war. And they're broadcast at random intervals during the day and consist of a coded dialogue such as K2XL25, stand by. K2XL25, stand by. K2XL25, stand by. Message to follow. Then there'll be the call sign again, K2XL25, uh, and letters or numbers. Now, obviously, the military knows what this means, but most others don't. An emergency action message that begins with Sky King, Sky King, do not answer, Tango Lima Papa, time 30, Authentication Uniform Papa. This is Andrews out. Now, that's a single integrated operational plan. This will come from a nuclear bomber, nuclear submarine, or other military command planes. The do not answer is to tell the contact at the other end to not respond to so their location is not figured out by the enemy. Allegedly, if you hear Sky King, Sky King, do not answer just one or two times, it's only a test. But if you hear it three times in a row, it's a pre-deployment mode for war. And if you hear it four times in a row, get your shovel and dig a hole. Best time to listen is in the daytime. Generally, you can find it on the single sideband. Then you got DXing. And I used to do a lot of DXing. It's a lot of fun. It's the pursuit of distant radio stations with the goal of listening, identifying new stations. The D stands for distance, and the X stands for unknown. And DXing is hunting and tuning in faint, distant, hard-to-hear stations. And if you work through the noise and the interference and the fading signals and you listen to a broadcast from a low-powered station deep in, say, the Congo, it's kind of like panning for gold to hardcore DXers. They challenge themselves to find that um, special, rare signal they just know is out there. Like the fisherman who just knows that the next one is going to be the one. Special, large, legendary. People have seen it, but nobody's caught it. And DXing can be fascinating, fun, and addicting, frankly. Many DXers also attempt to receive QSL cards from the stations that they identify. I had quite a collection in my misspent youth. And a QSL card, in case you're wondering, is a written communication of a reception of a signal from a shortwave radio station. Typical QSL card is about the same size as a postcard, and most are sent through the mail. And many of the shortwave uh, stations welcome hearing from listeners, especially with the reports of how well the station is being received and comments on their programming. And international shortwave broadcasters have traditionally issued QSL cards to listeners to verify reception of their programming. Now, while this practice is being dropped by some, many do still respond to listeners' uh, letters and emails by sending out um, their own colorful souvenir cards. Uh, QSL cards for correct reports or reception of their uh, signals. And some stations reply with QSL letters instead of QSL cards. And there are a few that still send other items like uh, sundries with the station's name or call letters to lucky shortwave listeners. I had somebody send me a cap that had their station's logo on it. 
Typical QSL cards usually have one side of the card used to verify your reception details, and the other side is decorated with photos of the station's logo, scenic views, and maps of the country, even the station's antenna towers. So if you uh, want to have some fun, have a pencil and paper beside your radio, and as you hear information uh, identifying a station, you may have to go to the logbooks to figure out where the station is, but if you got the information about the signals, they just might send you something. You know, ham radio operators as well use and send QSL cards to, in many cases. It's become quite a hobby to receive QSL cards, but you have to send your request to the station operator in the proper format. And if you want to receive a QSL card from a shortwave station, be sure to use the proper format. And you'll need to write the station uh, what's known as a reception report. And a reception report should tell the station what radio and antenna you're using, time and date you heard the transmission, the frequency, because many stations broadcast on several frequencies at once, so they want to know which one it was you heard how well the signal can be heard in your area, and some details about the program transmission you heard to actually prove you did hear it. Choi reception reports usually use the, what's known as the SINPOST system. It's understood and accepted by radio listeners and station engineers worldwide, and SINPO or S-I-N-P-L means S for st signal strength, I is interference, N, noise, P, propagation, and O, overall quality. You send that information, and uh, quite often they'll send you back a uh, a QSL uh, card. Now, each category that I just read off is rated 1 to 5, with 1 being the poorest reception and 5 being the best. Now, 1 signal rating means that you can barely hear the station, and a 5 means it's strong enough to be local. And engineers use these ratings to determine if their station is being interfered with by another operator. So if you can identify a station that seems to be interfering, be sure to include that in your report. This helps the operator place themselves on the best possible frequency for people's listening pleasure. Now, ham radio operators have a different reporting system. They use the RST system, Readability Signal Tone. If you want to get a QSL card from a ham operator, then you use the RST reporting system under readability. One is unreadable, and two and uh, five is uh, perfectly readable. Signal strength, one is faint. Nine is extremely strong. Tone, one is extremely rough and harsh. Nine is a perfect tone. And if you send a reception report to a ham operator, be sure to include the date and time and UTC format and the frequency the operator was using. It's also a good idea to send a few details of the conversation you mentioned uh, or you, that you monitored to prove that uh, you actually heard the operator you're requesting a QSL card from. And you can find the ham radio operator's addresses in the radio amateur call book. Uh, a lot of local libraries have this book, that's, uh, and it's updated every year. That's what I used, and as I say, I amassed quite a collection in my younger days. Now, the next interesting type of station to listen for are the pirate radio stations. 
And yes, there are pirate radio stations on shortwave. Low-powered, unlicensed radio stations operated by hobbyists that typically broadcast for about 30 minutes and they go off the air. FCD, FCC doesn't seem to bother about them, but uh, they're not interfering with other legitimate stations. And when they do interfere, they're located swiftly and the fines are high. Most common pirate radio broadcasters are found in the uh, 6.8 megahertz to 7.0 megahertz range. Frequent use is on uh, 6.925 megahertz. Few can be found between 7.41 and 7.46 megahertz. They typically play rock music or broadcast their own personal comedic routines as well as their version of the news. There are enough private radio enthusiasts that... uh, they actually formed their own club at one time. It's called the Association of Clandestine Enthusiasts, or ACE. But, I mean, they had their own website. Fairly recently, they appears they shut it down. But you can read about them on the North American uh, Pirate Radio Hall of Fame uh, at a webpage uh, at sites.google.com forward slash site, forward slash N.A. Pirates, H.O.F., forward slash home. Who knows what you'll find with the Pirates. Now, best listening time depends on where you're located. International broadcasters usually beam their signals uh, to designated listening areas during the evening hours when most people are listening uh, from their homes. I mean, if you live in uh, Wausau, Wisconsin, your best shortwave listening time and for, for international stations between 8 p.m. and midnight. And as a rule of thumb for listening to amateur radio below uh, 7 megahertz, use a lower sideband. And if it's above 7 megahertz, use upper sideband. Now, in my first show about shortwave radio, I talked about the various types of shortwave radio. And if you took my advice and got a Texan, um, I mean the PL330, which is not all that expensive, has got sideband. And broadcast bands use AM, although at times if the signal's packed tight against the frequency close by you, you can switch to either upper or lower sideband to avoid the interference. And that's when you experiment until you learn what your radio can do. And the second rule of thumb is timing. Best listening time for 10 to 30 megahertz um, is during daylight. Best listening time for 3.5 megahertz to 4.0 megahertz. And 7.0 megahertz to 7.3 megahertz is at night. Um, now 14 megahertz and 14.35 megahertz uh, which is the 20 meter ham band is may also be in use in the U.S. at night depending on radio conditions that day now there's one exception to this you can often hear stations within 600 miles or so on 40 meters in the daytime especially on weekends and holidays when more ham radio operators are on the air And for ham radio listening, tune in to lower sideband. 
For aviation listening, if you only listen to airplanes communicating, go to the upper sideband. Fast way to check listening conditions is to tune to 2,500 megahertz, 5,000 megahertz, 10,000 megahertz, 15,000 megahertz, or 20,000 megahertz. Uh, their clarity will be a rough indicator of if other nearby bands will be as good or bad uh, to listen to. Or they may not be available at all. And signal levels can change from day to day on uh, shortwave. Stations you can hear loud and clear one day might be very weak and even unlistable to the next day. Now, there's a number of websites you can go to to get information. Um, I mean, there's websites that talk about um, learning to use ham radio. And you can actually listen to shortwave on the Internet. There's a number of apps that actually are shortwave receivers. Then you've got... Um, well, spaceweatherwoman.com, for example, is a cool website. She's a space weather woman. Broadcast space weather. So you know what to expect for shortwave radio transmission. Because if there's a solar flare on the, on the sun, it can certainly affect shortwave listening. Now, there, there's an app for everything. And there's smartphone apps to display uh, shortwave schedules. You can get it for your iPhone or your iPad. Um, you can go to the uh, Apple Store and and you need to get a listing of shortwave frequencies now that doesn't mean that everybody you come across is going to be on one of these frequencies but it's a good starting place then there's the family radio service used by families and by businesses they use uh, ultra high frequency there are 22 family radio service channels and I mean literally you would be amazed at what will show up on these channels then if you like the list of commercial aircraft and you never know what's going to go on there especially if you got a hijacking they use a VHF radio for most of their domestic communications, but when they're traveling across the ocean, they use shortwave to its superior ability to transmit long distances. Then you can listen to ships at sea. Like aviation, ships at sea need to change their mode of communication from VHF to shortwave when they're far from shore. And they also use sideband mode. Uh, currently, Though much of the ship-to-ship -ship and ship-to-shore transmissions have been converted to digital uh, encrypted transmissions. Nobody likes to be eavesdropped on. And there are shortwave stations that are dedicated to providing ships with information on conditions at sea. Wave height, icebergs, storms, other hazards is some of the information they provide. And they also operate in sideband mode. These stations alternate between uh, voice reports and digital fax maps. You can get free software uh, to decode these transmissions. 
I think I mentioned in the previous show that I had software that uh, translated the uh, the sendings of the major news networks because their international desk will send back to to the U.S. for um, you know exactly what's going on, and I discovered over time that the messages they were sending due to censorship, sometimes what we heard was nothing like what had been sent. So that's when I began to really figure out the impact that the news uh, channels had on the American people. Then, of course, uh, ham radio operators are large users of shortwave radio. And most use sideband mode to talk, and many still uh, use Morse code, which you can get free software to decrypt. Then we've got uh, international Q signals, which you'll hear quite often. Uh, for example, QRL means is this fre a frequency busy? It's just shorthand to find out. Uh, exactly uh, what's going on. Then there's Morse code operator abbreviations that you'll hear all the time. And I recommend getting some of the, um, well, I call them the prepper library. They give you a lot of information on emergency broadcast. And that's the major reason I got a show of radio in the beginning. Um, for example, during the, uh, what's laughingly called our evacuation from Afghanistan, uh, Radio Kabul out of Afghanistan on 6100 was, uh, very active. And if you listen, and you listen carefully, sometimes you're a step or two ahead of even the people on the ground. And you'd be surprised at um, how many stations each uh, country has. All right. Um, and then an important list you need to get. You won't use it every day, but you might use it. It's known as the SHTF Survivalist Radio Frequency List. And everything from prepper to full-time survivalist, highway safety, um, search and rescue. Well, keep in mind, there's a lot of people, and I'm not saying this offhand. I'm being very serious. There's a lot of people who is as they make their preparations, have one eye on the potential future. Right now, we got the FBI saying that uh, the chance of a, a terror attack here by um, pro-Palestinians is the highest it's ever been. Well, if that happens, you think you're going to be able to turn on the TV and hear the 6 o'clock news tell you what's going on? I don't think so. But if you've got the... Uh, a shortwave radio, 
and you can listen to what's going on on the ground, um, it will be, um, it'll be, you'll be one step ahead. The, and then if you have an interest in survivalism, check out the 333 radio plan. This is the when, where, and how to make radio contact with each other for times when you need to be concerned about survival. The 333 radio plan was designed for emergency communications. Normal methods of communications fail. And versions of this are used by survivalist preppers, emergency communication groups worldwide. It's based on the survival rule of three. It's often called an emergency radio schedule, or SKED. Now, if you're curious about how it works, every three hours, turn on your radio for three minutes on channel three. Always use your local time for local area communications. Um, at the top of the hour, every three hours, beginning at noon, 3 p.m., 6 p.m., 9 p.m. Stay on for three minutes. Even if you don't need to make a call yourself, turn your radio on and listen for calls for at least three minutes. And that's because you never know if somebody may be trying to reach you or they may need help. If you need to check in, make a short transmission, but this time and say, uh, this is me checking in. And if you got sufficient battery power, if you hadn't checked in for a while, listen for 15 minutes. You never know what you're going to hear. Now, Channel 3 usually applies to CB, Citizens Band Radio, FRS or MURS. They're the most common types of radios that are used. Now, it's easy for everybody to remember the rule of three. Conserves battery life for walkie-talkies, for one thing. Gets everybody on air at the same time. Sets a schedule of eight times a day to call each other. Avoids impractical hourly schedules. Enables the use of short transmissions for optimum success and security. And three hours is enough time to rest in a survival situation. And a person can walk eight miles in three minutes. The practical distance limit of handheld radios over average terrain. But if you got a good shortwave radio and a good antenna, you can hear things you wouldn't believe. Now, there are DX radio clubs across the country, you might, or actually across the world, that are worth looking into. One of the ones I hear quite a bit about is the Arizona Outlaws Contest Club. And there's the Central Arizona DX Association. So, keep in mind um, everything I've talked about. And I hope you enjoyed uh, this little overview of shortwave radio. And long before there was broadcast TV, satellite TV, internet and radio, it was just radio. Uh... Marconi, the father of radio, sent the first transatlantic radio transmission December 12, 1901. Made it to Cornwall, England. Listened to by in uh, St. John's, Newfoundland. Since then, Americans have been receiving their international news directly from the 
countries it's occurring in. And that keeps you from being the victim, if you will, of um, someone else's opinion of what the news means. You can hear it directly. On that note, we come to the end of today's show. We'll be back tomorrow and talk about a new topic. Until then, this is Ken Hudnall for the Ken Hudnall Show saying have a truly great evening.